You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Think of the millions, if not trillions of dollars we spend each year on products and clothes and experiences, even property, so that people can convince themselves and others that they are valuable. But here's what really caught my attention. He says, I believe we create lists of adjectives that we want to be identified as. Maybe leader, considerate, cool, attractive, an advocate, useful, provider, protector. But it isn't enough to describe yourself as any adjective. Others must be the ones to do so. In that way, our identities are dependent on what others think. And then this is when it hit me upside the head. We do not look or think of others as being created in the image of God. We turn people into mirrors for one purpose, to tell us who we are, that people become our audience and we act. Now, isn't that pretty interesting to think that everyone has words or causes or ideas that we want to be known for, but in order for that to be true about me, I have to get you to think that of me. So there's how we see ourselves, there's how we see others. And then the third aspect is this. It's who we truly are. In fact, that's what we all wrestle with is who am I? And here's what you're going to see from Psalm 8 today. If you want to know who you are, we discover who we are not by looking to, but away from ourselves. So let's look to God's Word and we're going to see how we discover who we are and even why we are here. And David is going to do four things through this short psalm. And this is how it begins. To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of David. So we know who is writing this. And notice how he begins. He says, Lord. If you take notes, if you mark in your Bible, what you need to know is this is the word Yahweh. It's describing a very personal name of God. When you see God described as doing covenants, it's the name Yahweh, meaning I am. The personal covenantal name of God. And that's who David begins addressing. And then he says, our. Meaning David the king, he is representing all the people in this psalm. And then he says the word Lord again. But it's different. It's not the word Yahweh. It's the word Adonai. And this word means the supreme leader, the, the sovereign master. So David says, the great I am, our sovereign master. He wants us to know who he's addressing. And then he says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's describing God's power, his excellence. He's describing his splendor. And he says, there is no name greater than yours, God. And then he says, you have set your glory above the heavens. 
I believe David is outside. I believe he is looking up at the sky and all that he can see, he is acknowledging that God's glory is above the heavens. That he is saying that God is bigger and more magnificent than what he can even see or even imagine. That the heavens cannot contain God's glory. So notice, David doesn't start by focusing on himself or even how others think of him. The first thing David does in discovering who he is, he ponders the vastness of the universe. And when's the last time we actually did that? Took a moment, went outside, looked into the heavens, and just stopped and pondered the vastness of it. So let me put this in perspective of just the vastness of the universe. Do you know what the closest star to our minuscule planet is? It's a star that is named Alpha Centauri. The closest star to our little bitty tiny planet is 4.3 light years from us. And that's the closest. Many tonight, if you get the Skyview app, go and find this star. It's actually a cluster of three stars. But you find Alpha Centauri. And the light that you are looking at in that moment left that star over four years ago. Many tonight, if you find that star and you look at it, the light you are seeing left there around April 19th of 1996. The farthest star that we know of from the Hubble telescope is named Icarus. It was first seen in May of 2016. The farthest one we have seen. It is a hundred times farther away than the next closest star. The vastness of it. And kids, do you know our solar system? Which galaxy it's in? What galaxy is our solar system? I know you haven't been in school in a while. What is it called? The Milky Way. Or the Snickers. The Milky Way. Get this. The Milky Way galaxy, the one that our solar system is in. Is 100,000 light years in diameter. The next galaxy to us is 2.5 million light years in diameter. The best they can estimate is there are 100 billion galaxies. So do you feel insignificant yet? The vastness of... Of the universe. And that is where David starts. He ponders the vastness of the entire universe. He looks up at the stars away from himself and he acknowledges that all he can see, it cannot contain God's glory. But there's a second thing David does, beginning of verse 2. He says, Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. That God, the one that created the universe, uses babies to silence his enemies. I believe it's what he's saying is God uses the weakest to confound the strong. I'm trying to understand what does he mean by that? What is David trying to describe? And 
I think we see this happening in two ways. One, when you go to the New Testament, you hear about this childlike faith. So you and I don't need a faith that impresses other people. Even our faith can become an idol or an identity that we are chasing. But I think it's also this, that every time a baby is born, every time a child cries, that is another image bearer proclaiming that there is a God. Whether we or anybody else recognize that that child's cry is identifying and shouting that there is another image bearer proclaiming there is a God. So I think what David is doing, he's reflecting on God's created life. But then he continues. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Once again, looking at the vastness of the universe, he reflects on God's creation of the moon and the stars. Best I could research, it said that our galaxy, the Milky Way, has got 30 or 300 billion stars. And they estimate there are 100 billion galaxies, meaning there's somewhere around 70 billion trillion stars. And Isaiah 40, 26 tells us that God knows each and every one of them by name and He has placed them exactly where they are. So to discover who you are, I think first we ponder the vastness of the universe. The second thing David does, he marvels at the greatness of the God who created it. But there's a third thing. In verse 4, notice what he says. He says it's a question, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So David, looking up at the stars, thinking about God's glory and his creation, I think God feels completely, or David feels completely insignificant. And what is man or who is man in all of this? But David also is in awe of something. Two things. You are mindful of Him. Literally, this means that God knows your name. And to think about that, God is forever thinking about humans and His creation, that you are always on His mind. Always. That He is mindful of you, He knows His creation. Oh, but there's more. He says you care for him. This phrase means attending to. It's describing this very intimate connection that happens. That God does not just know your name, but he is interested in what is happening to you. I'm wondering, do you ever feel insignificant? Do you ever feel unimportant? Do you ever feel like you don't matter and no one cares? Well, I want you to hear the truth. If there is a God that created you, He knows your name, and He tells us even the number of hairs on your head, some of us more than others, and it is interested in what is going on, what you are feeling, and He is constantly attending to and caring for you, even 
whether we recognize it or not. So when we look at creation, when we stare up at the stars at night, or we listen to a baby cry, we should feel insignificant. And at the same time, be in awe that God knows us and He cares for us. So what does David do? He ponders the vastness of the universe. He then, he marvels at the greatness of the God who created. Then he realizes the insignificance of man. But there's a fourth thing. It's in verse 5. He says, yet. So as insignificant as I may feel, yet. You have made him, speaking of man, a little lower than the heavenly beings. And this is a little difficult to interpret. It's the word Elohim, which means the gods. Now, I believe this is referring to God himself because obviously we are less than God. Yet you have made man a little lower than you. And I think that is something we need to often be reminded of. As insignificant as we are, but God does something. Notice what He does. He's made us a little lower than who He is, lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned Him, man, with glory and honor. That God crowns humanity with glory and honor. The one that the universe cannot contain His glory. The one that created every star and knows its name. The one that created you and takes an interest in you. Crowns insignificant man with glory and honor. And this is what I was reminded of. Of all the ways I'm chasing after those things. Running and chasing after glory and honor. I search for glory and honor in my accomplishments. I'm searching for these things in my identity, especially of my own making. And then what I notice something that happens. I get frustrated and I get angry when the things that I identify with become threatened. I become entitled. And I lose sight of something much greater. That we easily lose sight of all the things we are chasing to be known for. Can never measure up to what God and only He can actually offer us. So let me ask you, would you rather be crowned with glory and honor from a sinful group of people living in a sinful world Or the one that created all that you can see and know and is perfectly righteous, pure, and loving. Who would you rather be crowned by? So then David reflects on one way humanity has been crowned. It's in verse 6 through 8. God's crowning humanity with glory and honor. And at the top of the list, this is what it says. You have given him, speaking of man, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So over all of God's creation, man holds this unique place. That humanity has been given dominion over all the works of God's hands. 
And I think David is standing there looking up at the night sky, and he is in awe that God would exalt him above all creation. And David recognizes that I don't even deserve that. That he doesn't even deserve to be magnified above all of God's creation. Therefore, I think what it's saying is that we are created in God's image to represent God on earth over all of his creation. That is why you were born and that is why you are here to represent him. Above everything else that we may do or say, we are here to represent him. And that is an honor that we do not deserve. That we don't deserve to represent him. So the fourth thing he does, first of all, he ponders the vastness of the universe. And that's where he starts. He then marvels at the greatness of the God that created it all. But then he realizes how insignificant man is as a created being. But then he stands in awe of the grace that God shows humanity to represent him. And David says, that is how you discover who you are, and even why you're here. That we discover who we are, not by looking to, but away from ourselves. And then David ends this psalm in the same way he began it. Word for word. O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So instead of looking for our identity in our works or our accomplishments or our intellect or our success or our agendas or our stance on politics or our causes, that to realize our identity comes from the most majestic name there ever was, is, and will be. That we discover who we are not by looking to, but away from ourselves. In fact, over the last month, I think I've been more grieved than maybe I have in a long time over the things I'm seeing and some of the things I've been involved in. I listen to arguments about things like changing the name of schools and rebranding state flags. And if you or to just plop down onto this planet and seeing this happen, you would think that people on either side absolutely hate each other. I see news reports about people, image bearers, being treated like they are less than someone else because of the color of their skin or where they were born or their heritage. I see people stealing and destroying property and lives. I see people being at odds with each other over debates about COVID virus, even down to arguing about masks. I hear families that can't even get together and talk because of some issue or world event or even politics. And I think I'm seeing more disunity and discord inside and outside the church than ever before. And I think all this happens when we make and I make everything about me and my identity. And we all, including myself, we are failing at representing God here on earth. 
And I would absolutely lose all hope if it wasn't for this last point. There's actually a fifth thing to do. But to see this, you have to kind of look outside this psalm because this is a very unique psalm. It's a unique type of psalm. It's a messianic psalm. But to see this, you have to look at it in Hebrews chapter 2 because it is a direct quote of Psalm chapter 8. And this is how it reads. It has been testified somewhere, meaning it has been written down. It has been proclaimed. And notice it's word for word. What is man that you are mindful of him? For the son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So when I look at myself, I look at my situation, I look at our city, I look at our nation, I look at the world, and everything seems to be a mess. And nothing seems in subjection. Everybody and everything is doing exactly what they want to do for their own glory, including me. And nothing matters more than my opinions and my image. Or my my identity. And I will defend them to the death. And everything is out of control. But here's our hope. Here's where we need to focus. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to Him. He left nothing outside His control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. You realize the author is now not talking about us anymore. In verse 9, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. That the author is no longer talking about humanity, is talking about Jesus So our hope is when nothing seems right, when nothing seems to be in subjection to God, when Satan seems to be winning, we realize that we can't see everything rightly yet. We're not seeing the whole picture. Because if this world and even our lives were left up to us, there would be absolutely no hope. Things would continue to get worse and worse for all eternity. But God did something. What man failed at doing, even back to the very beginning with the very first Adam and representing God here on earth, He sent His Son to accomplish it for us. He sent His Son not only to represent Him, but to represent us. That this world is not our home. And the best thing I can do in the meantime is to represent Him well. In my family, in my job, in His church. And all the circles I'm associated with. So church, hear me. In 2020, we are facing many decisions. Many that we have never had to face before. And so many of them are very controversial. Like what information is correct about COVID and and certain things that we need to be doing. Schools and churches reopening. Monuments and state flags and names of schools, political parties, philosophies, and candidates. What happens is we take issue and we pick sides. 
And then we make our identity all about those things. When these issues then that we are passionate about get threatened or challenged, then we see our identities as being threatened. But I need you to know our stances and our opinions, well, no matter what it is, that is not the most important thing about us. I think this is a time where we need to kind of take a step back at times. Ponder the vastness of the universe. Take a moment just to marvel at the greatness of the God who created it. To realize our insignificance as created beings. And to take a breath and stand in awe of the grace that God showed us. And remember that our identity is from the one who will one day set everything right and everything will be under his loving and caring control. So we discover who we are not by looking to, but away from ourselves. Because there's only one opinion about you that matters. And he says, I have, and I will crown you with my glory and honor. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.